Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams, and I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. If you're a local, would love to invite you to come be our guest one Sunday morning. Our service is at 1030. You can learn more about the church by visiting our website, which is calvary316.com. Very easy to find. We're located off of Highway 316, again, just outside of Athens, Georgia. Even if you're not a local, however you're listening, wherever you're listening, whether this is radio or you're catching up uh, with the episodes of the Outlaw Radio Show on our podcast, regardless, either way, I do hope you just stay with me over the next hour as we seek to deconstruct the negative perception that the world has of Christians by boldly and brashly discussing things that are relevant, uh, relevant to today, relevant to our culture, relevant to our lives. Uh, been very interesting. Uh, I just want to speak kind of personally here, and this will set the stage for what we're going to discuss in today's show. So I've been on this big grace kick. Uh, Go way back, uh, Calvary 316, I decided uh, to teach through the book of Acts. So the very first book of the Bible that I taught um, at Calvary 316 was uh, Ecclesiastes. And then I went from there to the Gospel of Mark. I did a series titled Actions Speak Louder, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, working through the Gospel of Mark, looking at uh, the life of Jesus, really through the eyes of the Apostle Peter. Uh, I like to call him the ADD Apostle. Uh, he is rapid fire, quick change of scenes, lots lots of detail. It's, it's a great flyby. Mark, if you're, if you're wanting just a flyby look at the life of Jesus, I mean, uh, the Gospel of Mark is dynamite. From the Gospel of Mark, I then uh, went to the book of Acts. And you got to remember, Calvary 316, uh, we're only about seven years old. And at that time, we were still in our infancy. We were about 18 months uh, into this crazy experiment that we were doing. And in in the process of figuring out things, like establishing church leadership, developing the culture of our church, coming up uh, with our positions and beliefs about really everything pertaining to church culture, church life, Uh, what the church should be, we decided, hey, let's go to the blueprint uh, for the church of Jesus, the church that Jesus established. Uh, Let's go through the book of Acts and and really found that to be such a refreshing thing um, in that particular season of our church. Uh, It it was fun when we were working our way through Acts chapter 2 and talking about the Holy Spirit. We took time to wait on the Holy Spirit to, to come upon us, not just in us or with us, but upon us. And then at the end of that chapter, when you're looking at uh, just that, um, the DNA of that first church, uh, that they were constantly in the Apostles' Doctrine, the Word of God, that they were spending time in prayer with one another, that they they ate, and very like, they were practical things about the community. They ate together. Like, we were like, we should do potlucks. Uh, old school idea, but there's an importance to them, breaking bread together. And with the size of church that we have, that's very easy. So we were kind of, as we were developing church culture, let the book of Acts kind of lead the way. Now, I say that to say that when we got to Acts chapter 15, this is the Jerusalem Council. The Apostle Paul has just taken the gospel into the region of Galatia. Uh, that's significant because Galatia was primarily Gentile, non-Jews. And so the gospel gets extended into these uh, Gentile areas. The church is born, the church spreads, the gospel's taking root. But what was happening is that the church outside of Israel um, was becoming more and more Gentile and not Jewish. Now, the church started as a group of Jews. Jesus was a Jew. The 12 apostles were Jews. The early believers, the early Christians were Jews. Started in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all Jewish lands, Jewish areas. But as the church is spreading, as things are growing, um, they began wrestling with this central idea of, do you need to be a Jew to be a Christian? And we have all this stuff in the Old Testament Uh, defining what it is to be a Jew, from circumcision to dietary guidelines, things of that nature. And so the church is really wrestling with how much of these Jewish things do we impose on Gentiles? Like, do you need to be circumcised to be a Christian? And the Apostle Paul had very strong (laughs) opinions about this thing, that we're saved by grace and grace alone, and that any addition to grace is a distortion. It's a gospel distortion. And all this stuff kind of reaches ahead Uh, They're in Acts chapter 15 in what's known as the Jerusalem Council. So Paul and Barnabas and and Peter and James and and John, they all kind of gather there in Jerusalem, and they're hearing out the case. 
they're discussing these things. Peter gets up and he shares his testimony of, of the gospel going into the house of Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. And they reach this conclusion that the gospel message is simple. It's grace alone. If it's grace and do these things, it's a distortion. If it's grace, but don't do those things, it's a distortion. Uh, equally distorted is grace so I can do anything. Like These things matter. And so in Acts 15, they kind of reach this grand unanimous conclusion that what makes what Jesus started so different is that it had really everything to do with the work of God and not based in any works of man. Even if they're done with the noblest of intentions, that is grace, period. Well, as I was working through that particular section of Scripture, and the Lord really speaking to me, I can remember sitting in my office, listening to a Bible study. It might have been David Guzik, Joe Foch, Damian Kyle, Sandy Adams. I don't recall who it was in particular, but I had this idea, and I remember writing it down on my legal pad <clears throat> at Outlaw Church. Uh, just what what does it look like for the church, for this community of believers to be living and abiding outside the law? Jesus fulfilled the law. Uh, the law has a role, but it's a teacher, it's a tutor, as Paul talks about. So what, so what does that look like? And, and really, if you're thinking about uh, the way this unpacks itself in Scripture, Acts chapter 15, you might kind of consider to be the thesis statement on all of this. And then in Galatians, you have the Apostle Paul pre presenting like the cliff notes. So he starts unpacking the thesis in greater detail. And, and then Romans comes along, and Paul, I mean, it's his grand treatise. Like he's uh, laying all of this out in copious amounts of detail, lots of theology, and uh, in incredible run-on sentences, as the Apostle Paul was used to doing. The point is that uh, in Acts chapter 15, I, I was really moved by the Lord to teach through the book of Galatians. You look back at almost every revival, uh, church movement, you'll find Galatians sitting right there in the center from Wil Wilbur Wilberforce and, uh, and his uh, energies to rid the Western world of slavery to even just the essence of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther uh, referred to Galatians as the fighting epistle. It's it's the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. And so I taught through the book of Galatians, titled the series Outlaw Church. It's on our website if you're interested in in going through it. And not only did that particular study change change my life by changing my understanding of the grace of God, which is this beautiful thing. It's all we need. Uh, but it it totally changed the culture of this little church, Calvary 316, the effects of which are still reverberating today. Now, within this study, it, it, it just kept coming back and back and back that uh, grace is not a New Testament concept, that the idea of grace permeates all of Scripture, that the one big idea of the Bible is God reaching down to man, independent of man, to save man, it's a work of God and God alone. Like That's the big idea. Every other world religion is about man reaching up to God to earn God's favor, to earn God's approval. And Christianity says, there's nothing you can do. You're in big trouble. Good thing God had a plan. And it's the story of redemption. And so, you know, realizing, and this is what blows my mind, is all the scriptural justifications for grace that Paul makes in Galatians, and, and this remains true in Romans, he always goes back to Genesis, like every scriptural argument. And then it kind of dawned on me as I was working through this series that the most grace-centric book of the Bible is actually the book of Genesis because the law doesn't come until Exodus 20. The genesis of grace is where we went following our time in Galatians because, I mean, the book of Genesis really does ooze grace. There's no law. Well, why is Abraham chosen? Well, for one reason. God chose him. <laughs> Like even down to creation, God creates all these things and he says that they're good. Good for what? Man's going to enjoy them. Had man done anything to deserve any of it? No, not at all. Like it's grace and it's grace and it's grace. It's just the genesis of grace, this developing of this idea. Well, that's had its effect on really every sermon series that I've done up until this point. I did a series in Philippians following that, titled it Enjoying Grace. Now that we've been freed from these expectations, we have freedom, liberty to enjoy this life that Jesus died to provide us, that God created us uh, to enjoy, enjoying grace. Did a study in Jonah, 
titled it Resisting Grace, a prophet resisting the grace of God, and, and the effects that that yield, the consequences in his own life personally. I got gutsy, though, and this was something that was kind of sitting on the back of my brain while all these things were going on. And, and I thought, well, man, if, if, if the entire Bible is really about grace, and grace oozes and it weaves its way kind of through everything, then what about grace in Leviticus? <laughs> grace in Leviticus, right. And, and, and it took me a little while to just kind of chew on that idea. I mean, we're going to go to the heart of the law. And is there grace? And as I began doing some preliminary studying for a series that I ended up titling The Precedent for Grace, Leviticus, it became clear that, man, grace is all over the book. As just one very quick example, the first seven chapters document for you five sacrifices, the burnt offering, the trespass offering, um, the grain offering, sin offering. Um, you have these five offerings, just beautiful section of scripture. It's ancient. It's very foreign to our context. It all points to Jesus. Side note, spoiler alert. But five, in, in the Hebrew, the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, five was always symbolic, biblical numerology of grace. Five offerings, all about God's grace. Uh, again, a side note, uh, the study that I did in Leviticus 2 blew my mind. It was all about this response to the burnt offering, an offering God makes on our behalf. It's a response offering of grace. Again, just even the, the blueprint, the outline of the book, the first half of Leviticus, the first 17 chapters all deal with our relationship with God. Not, not the things that we do, but what he's done. Again, it all points back to the burnt offering, this picture of Jesus. So the whole first half is, is grace, this precedent for grace, this establishment of, of certain ideas codified in a law that set a framework for what Jesus would accomplish on our behalf, man's interactions with God. And then the second half of the book deals now, in light of our relationship with God founded upon grace, now how should we interact with each other societally, mano y mano, man to man, woman to woman? How do we interact with each other in light of this great grace that God has, that God has given us? Now, I say all that, that's kind of this crazy lead-in to again, kind of reiterate the idea that so much of what happens in the New Testament, so much of these ideas of grace and like New Testament concepts, they only exist in the New Testament. They can only exist at all because of the framework established by God in the law. Like all kinds of really cool, interesting ideas. Like have you ever, have you ever noticed that when... Um, when you do something as a response to God's grace, whether it's teaching Sunday school or you're volunteering or you give some money away, that you feel as though that you received the greater blessing than you were able to give. I know that that experience happens when you do mission trips. You come back, they get, I just, I hope I was as much of a blessing to them as they were to me. Well, the reason that that operates, that that happens in the spiritual realm is an idea established in Leviticus chapter two about the response to God's grace offerings, blessing the high priest, that being Jesus, and then the priest, that being you and I. Just again, cool concepts. Now, what we're gonna talk about today is an idea presented in Leviticus 13 and 14 about leprosy. Like, have you ever noticed that God's judgment isn't just reserved for sin on the final day at the great white throne, that we see manifestations of God's judgment in our own lives and around us. And there's a reason for that, a big one. So don't go anywhere. The Outlaw Radio Show, we're going to unpack that idea more. One of the most important visions of the Outlaw Radio Show is our desire to challenge you to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on your own. The sad reality is many Christians fail to reflect Christ because they don't know what they believe or why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to the Outlaw Radio Show tackling tough topics you might not hear at church, it is our desire to equip, inspire, and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this important process, we want you to check out blueletterbible.org. It would be an understatement to say that this website will transform the way you study the Bible. In fact, it will revolutionize it. 
Aside from their treasure trove of free online commentaries, blueletterbible.org also has an incredible word search function, making it super simple to dive into the original language behind a text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of scripture and in the process, learn and grow, we encourage you to check out blueletterbible.org today. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. I'm talking about leprosy. Now, the, the concept here is that Leviticus establishes f- the framework for some really important New Testament ideas, that there's laws that govern kind of the spiritual realm. One of those laws that governs a very practical um, experience we all have is the idea of judgment, God's judgment. Uh, let, let me just give you just a quick example, and then we're going to unpack this idea uh, in greater detail. But I, I, had a, I had a dear friend. I would consider him a brother who several years ago just really decided to do something stupid. He cheated on his wife. And, and then there were crocodile tears. Oh, my goodness. I, I, this, is, this was tragic. I shouldn't have done this. This was, oh, regrettable. And then you come to find out a few months later he was continuing that affair. And one half of his mouth, he was going to try to make things work with his wife, but he never broke it off with the other lady. And, and my point in bringing it up is that, man, the effects, the judgment of God in a very practical sense through the consequences of his decision were witnessed by everyone around him. And, and, and indeed, I'll say just personally, like, man, cheating on your spouse is not worth it. Like, Sin has this appeal. The grass is greener, but man, I saw it sour in some dude's mouth. And the effects that it had, uh, it destroyed his marriage, but man, it destroyed his family. Like there were severe consequences still reverberating. And his kids, his finances. Again, somebody does something wrong, something we might say that's prohibited by God, that Leviticus would call unclean. And there's an immediate, swift judgment of God for a reason, because it's supposed to communicate something to all of us. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself, leprosy. Now, in Leviticus 13 and 14, these two chapters at the heart of the law, they deal with this ancient disease. We're not going to read through the text. <laughs> I'm not going to bore you with all of that, um, other than to say that if you're, if you're kind of developing an outline... Uh, there's really two sections to leprosy. There is the diagnosing of leprosy, and then there's the pronouncement of someone or some place being cleansed of leprosy and what was to happen in the event that that took place. Uh, pertaining to uh, the diagnosing of leprosy, these chapters will diagnose, like kind of explain how you diagnose leprosy in a person, like in an individual, how you would... Uh, diagnose leprosy like a leprous outbreak in clothing, linen, garment, leather. Um, the second half of chapter 14 deals with leprosy if it's discovered in a physical dwelling. All very interesting things. And, and then the first 32 verses of chapter 14 deal with, again, uh, what was to be done if a person was cleansed of their leprosy, which on a side note was fascinating because it's it's 32 verses of a protocol for the cleansing of an incurable disease. <laughs> We'll get to that. The one thing when people teach through these type of passages that they don't do is that they don't re-examine some basic ideas. Like, like so often in teaching the scriptures, and I listen to some of the best Bible teachers on the planet uh, in preparation for every Bible study that I teach, and it, and it even alarms me in regards to them how often things just get regurgitated or repeated because... Well, the people that they're listening to repeats them. And no one ever takes a step back and says, well, wait a second. Uh, is that true? Or, or, or how do we know that's true? Leprosy is a great example of this. Like, what is leprosy? I know that sounds basic, but defining leprosy is much more difficult than you could ever imagine. Now, like for starters, the term leprosy, it's variations of like leper or leprous. You'll find that word 68 times in the Bible, 55 times in the Hebrew Old Testament, 13 times in the Greek New Testament. Now, in the Hebrew, the word we have translated as leprous or leper is syraath. That's the Hebrew word, 
what's interesting about the word is is that is that all it means is to strike, or or it can be used as you know a, a, a descriptive term. The one who was struck, strickened. The word, admittedly, is vague, which means that kind of the etymology of the Hebrew and the development of that Hebrew word into our present translation is is important when you're trying to understand what the Bible's talking about when it uses the word leprosy. Now, I'm going to get a little geeky for a few minutes, but just bear with me. I think you'll find this interesting. When the Hebrew Old Testament was transcribed into the classical Greek, and and this took place around 200 BC, the document that was yielded is known as the Septuagint. This word you find in Leviticus 13 and 14 translated as leprosy, syraath, it was translated into the Greek word lepra, which means to be scaly, like a fish. And, and it's from that Greek word, lepra, that we get the Latin leprous, the English word leprosy. Now, for reasons that will make more sense in a few minutes, like, I need to make it clear that the link between the disease in the Old Testament and what individuals were infe- infected with during the time of Christ, was, it was the same thing. And we know that by what Jesus says at the end of Mark chapter 1, as well as in Luke 17, when he instructs someone that was leprous he had just cleansed to go and present them to the priest for inspection in accordance with the protocols laid out in Leviticus 14. And so uh, we know regardless of the translations, what you find, what you encounter in the New Testament is the same thing as what you find in the Old Testament. Now, the reason that that's important and what you need to understand is that the gospel authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they use this Greek word lepra when talking about a person infected with this ancient disease, they use that word for only one reason. (laughs) It was the term that the Hebrew scholars chose when they translated Leviticus 13 from Hebrew into Greek in 200 BC. Now, problems arise because this word lepra is a terrible translation of the Hebrew word syrath. To be fair, there really wasn't a Greek equivalent. And yet, what the translators did, while you can understand it, was misguided because they they landed on a word that didn't translate the Hebrew into the Greek equivalent, but simply described the physical ailment being articulated in Leviticus 13, and confusions ensued. One scholar that that I read on what occurred here with the Septuagint this translation of Syraoth into leper, he calls it literally a linguistic blooper. In fact, in the 1940s, early 50s, a group of rabbinical scholars re-examined the translation of Syraoth into Greek as lepra, and this was their conclusion. Their conclusion is that it was a terrible mistake, that it's a, it's a, it's a tragic translation. Now, here's my point, and this will play out again for reasons that it will be clear in a few minutes. What's being described in both Leviticus 13 as well as Leviticus 14, what's described in the rest of the Old Testament, what's described by extension in the Gospels, is not leprosy in our modern understanding of this ancient disease. Like Today, leprosy is known as Hansen's disease. The disease was renamed in 1873 after the Norwegian scientist who discovered the underlying bacterium. And yet, the problem with defining what we see presented in the Bible as being leprosy or Hansen's disease is that while there are clear similarities, the pathology, well, it presents some unavoidable differences, well, that are frankly kind of challenging. Now, now first, what are the similarities? Because there are significant ones. Uh, they both manifest as a scaly skin disease. Um, and yet, while that's the case, we, we also understand that the, the skin disease is just a symptom of a deeper ailment. It's below the skin, as, we, as you'll find in Leviticus 13. And in the case of Hansen's disease, leprosy is actually a neurological disorder. It's a bacteria that attacks your nervous system, which is why lepers lose the sense of, of touch. They can't feel pain. A, a lot of the physical distortions that come with leprosy result in accidents 
you're asleep, your hand falls into a fire, you burn up your hand, but you couldn't feel it because you lack touch. Again, similarities in both biblical leprosy as well as Hansen's and the diagnosis. Well, it was a death sentence. Like both of them were incurable. We know that. As a human infection, they were both slow moving, painfully slow moving. And in the end would yield devastating effects in a person's physical frame. Finally, in both situations, once leprosy was diagnosed, or Syrah, the infective party would be quarantined from the rest of society. Now, now what's ironic about Hansen's disease is that because it's bacterial and not viral, it's actually very, very difficult to transmit between humans. It's one of the misconceptions of leprosy. Yes, leprosy is contagious. Like It can be transmitted from one human to another. We have an example of, of a leper colony in Hawaii where a, a Christian goes and he ministers for years and he ultimately dies of leprosy. He contracts it, but it's very difficult. It's slow. It incubates for long periods of time. Odd to, to have this like hardline quarantine for such a thing. In regards to what the Bible's describing, like I don't actually think it's contagious either and that the quarantine had a different purpose. Again, we'll get to that in a few minutes. Now, very quickly, the differences. Most notably, what, whatever's being described in Leviticus 13 and 14 was not limited to human biology. Like Syrahath could be found in fabric, clothing, linen, leather, as well as stone and plaster in the walls of a home. So it's not limited to human biology, which is bizarre. Additionally, in every instance that you find biblical leprosy, you'll always hear that it turned the skin white. So white, it would be described white as snow. Again, a physical characteristic that's never associated with Hansen's disease. Like, you need to understand when the Bible's talking about leprosy, what's happening, what's being described is it's probably more radical than you would ever think. And yet, as we're about to take a break, know that it's not the disease you think it is. It can infect a person, fabric, a wall. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back with the Outlaw Radio Show. Hey, this is Josh. You're listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. We just finished up the first half of the show. Zach will be back in just a moment talking a bit more about leprosy and the current study at Calvary 316 through the book of Leviticus. Don't go anywhere. The second half of the Outlaw Radio Show is coming right up. And now here's Pastor Zach Adams in the second half of the Outlaw Radio Show. Today, Zach is talking about leprosy. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. Before we get back to this discussion of leprosy, uh, I do want to let you know that if you aren't able to stay with us for the entirety of the episode, you're listening in the car on the radio. Uh, first, we're so glad you're listening. Uh, call that local Christian radio station. Thank them that they're carrying this type of programming in your area. But beyond that, like, you don't have to uh, miss out on the rest of the show. Uh, we have a podcast. Every episode of the Outlaw Radio is podcasted. We encourage you to listen on the radio, but if you can't listen to everything and this interests you, uh, go to iTunes, go to Google Play, search my name, Zach Adams, or Outlaw Radio. You'll find us. It's very easy. And subscribe to the podcast. As soon as uh, this episode airs on the radio, we then post it on the podcast uh, so you can listen to the show in its entirety. Uh, you can speed it ahead. You can find the spot you left off. Podcasting is super sweet. It's great. Uh, easy way to find it. Uh, just go to our website, outlawradio.org. Again, outlawradio.org. There are quick links that help you get to our podcast. Again, on iTunes, Google Play, or really wherever you subscribe to your podcasting. Back to leprosy. Uh, I'm not going to read for you. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm not going to read on the radio all of Leviticus 13 and 14. Again, the diagnosing of leprosy in an infectious in a person, infection as it pertains to a person, and, and clothing and a home, a physical dwelling. First 32 verses of chapter 14 then deal with uh, what was to be done if a person was cleansed of leprosy. Now, as you read through these chapters, again, Leviticus is that place where most Bible reading plans go to die. <laughs> But if you do read through this, like there's no question the consequences of a 
leprous diagnosis, this sayuraa. That was severe. <laughs> like you didn't want it to happen to you. It was devastating. If you found leprosy or what looked like leprosy in a garment, and then you take it to the priest and it gets confirmed, that is what it is, that garment was burned with fire. You lost the garment <laughs> or your tent, whatever that happened to be, which in that day and age would have been very costly. You couldn't go to the local, uh, the local shop, the local Old Navy, and buy a replacement fleece. Beyond that, if the plague was found in your home, <laughs> you see this thing happening in your walls, and you're like, that can't be good. And so you call a priest, the priest comes, they inspect it. If indeed it's, lep it's leprosy in your home, and you've gone through this whole process of scraping it out and replacing the stones that were infected, replastering, but man, it keeps coming back. Well, the structure was to be, according to the Lord, utterly destroyed, like a total complete loss, like you lost your home. If you were diagnosed with leprosy, as you read through these things, your life would never be the same. And closing out the section dealing with leprosy being diagnosed in a person, we read how like, your clothes, so there you're at the tabernacle, you get this terrible news, this diagnosis. Your, your clothes were to be torn and you were to shave your head bare. The idea is that everyone would know you were leprous, that you were afflicted. There was this public shaming. Additionally, whenever you approached a commoner as a leper, it was your duty to, quote, cover your mustache or your mouth, if you're a lady, and cry out, unclean, unclean. You'd have to do this just to ensure people wouldn't inadvertently come in contact with you. Shameful. Aside from this, it was, it was required that a leper had to dwell alone isolated from any type of family or friends they might have had. Like, you couldn't go back to work. If you have this itch on your arm, you go to the tabernacle, it gets diagnosed as, as leprosy. Well, you couldn't go home. Your marriage was effectively over. You couldn't see your kids. Community died. See, the leper, in addition to dwelling alone, had to dwell outside the camp. That was stipulated in the law here which indicated that, that he or she, who's now leprous, was excommunicated from society. Like being a leper was your identity. You were a dead man walking. <laughs> In fact, it, it wasn't abnormal for your family to have a funeral immediately following your diagnosis. Like you are never coming home, bro. Now, back to the first question, the original question, like what is leprosy? Like in the context of everything we just discussed, what is this ancient disease being referenced in the Old Testament? Now, if you've ever heard a sermon about leprosy or a sermon in which one of the characters in the Bible story was a leper, it's likely leprosy was presented to you as a picture of sin. And the reason for this is that um, it was, in a lot of ways, a picture of sin. The correlations between the two were were obvious. Like leprosy, sin, <laughs> bro, it will slowly kill you. I mean, it's a death sentence. The wages of sin are death. A diagnosis of leprosy was death. Like leprosy, sin, you know, it, sin manifests in a person's life physically, right? Something that we can see. We're told to judge one another's fruit. But we know that, that the behavioral manifestations of sin are, in, are indicators of a deeper problem, a heart issue. An outward uh, manifestation reveals an internal condition, a problem. Like, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. Like leprosy in the end, sin. Man, sin destroys everything, doesn't it? It'll destroy relationships. Like sin will destroy your marriage. Sin will destroy the relationships that you have with your kids. Either way, whether you're the parent doing something wrong or you're a child rebelling, sin destroys trust, confidence, truth. And in turn, it limits genuine community. It always does. Like, you know where you won't find genuine friends? At the bar. <laughs> Ultimately, sin separates you from God. And yet, and here's kind of the, 
here's the big point of the episode, like where everything is about to pivot. Yes, leprosy is a picture of sin. That's true. I don't want to contradict those Bible studies that you heard. I'm sure they were well. But I contend that what we're finding here in the Old Testament, this Syrath, was in actuality not just a picture of sin, but the actual judgment of God on account of sin. Basically, the, the leprosy is more than a type. It was an actual judgment. You know, there's no skirting the reality that in the Old Testament, when you run across Syrath, again, bad translation, and to the Greek is lepra, but every time you run across it, it doesn't behave like any other disease, any other biological disorder or ailment. It doesn't behave like what we know leprosy to behave like. You know, the very first mention of leprosy in the Bible, you'll find in Exodus 4. Moses has been commissioned by God there at the burning bush. He's going to go to Egypt. He's going to lead and liberate the people. God had commissioned him for such a task. It appeared to him. But Moses is worried that he's going to go to the people, and they're not going to believe that God appeared and commissioned him. So God gives Moses like two cool signs that he can perform, all aimed at like reinforcing what he's saying. The first is that he would take his staff, this big rod, and he'd throw it on the ground, turn into a serpent. And then he'd grab the tail of the serpent, turn back into his rod. Pretty cool trick. The second, though, was, was this kind of procedure where Moses would take his hand, put it into his shirt, pull it out, infected with leprosy, put it back in, pull it back out, and then the leprosy would be gone. <laughs> Again, kind of a cool trick. First mention in the Bible of leprosy, kind of telling us that this is weird, like that description, that characteristic, you're not going to find associated with most human illnesses. Uh, like aside from, from that story in the Old Testament, you also have six additional references uh, of leprosy. Like again, what's interesting is there's not a lot of mentions. Now, two of the characters were already infected with leprosy. These were four lepers you can read about in 2 Kings 4. They enter the Assyrian camp. It's empty. They have this big feast. The other is a story in 2 Kings 5 about Naaman the Syrian. Neither of us really help us understanding leprosy because their characters, when they're introduced in the text, they're already, they've already contracted it. They, they start in the story as lepers. And yet, the other four references to leprosy reveal something very interesting, and it's this. Syrath possess not just a, a biological pathology, but a spiritual one as well. Now, we're going to come back from our break and build on that idea. Um, while I have just a minute here, one of the most important aspects of our show is to hear from you, the listening audience. It's very, very, very important. Uh, there's several of you that have sent in questions uh, some lengthy ones. I've gotten your emails. It takes a little while uh, to work it into the schedule. We'll get to them. But if you're listening and you hear something on this show that you uh, disagree with, we'll start there. That's cool. Like Christians don't have to be monolithic in thought. You're free to disagree. This is a show, uh, a biblically-based show, but one largely determined by the things I find interesting and my opinions on them or perspective uh, of, of, of what the Bible's trying to articulate. You can disagree. That's cool. Let me know about it. Challenge something that's said. Submit topics. That's cool, too. Um, or, better yet, if something that is said on the show uh, ministers to you, if one of the topics hits home, again, we try to speak to things that are relevant. Um, man, that's awesome. Man, we want to hear those things, those testimonies of how God uses stuff. There's a few ways you can reach out to us. Uh, email info at outlawradio.org. Uh, Facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. And then we are on Twitter at radio underscore outlaw. All these things you can find on our website, outlawradio.org. Did you know beyond the unique content of the Outlaw Radio Show, Pastor Zach Adams also has an extensive teaching archive available online for free? If you love to study the Bible, we encourage you to check out c316.tv. Currently, Pastor Zach is teaching verse by verse through the Gospel of John, but c316.tv also has video, audio, and sermon notes for the Gospel of Mark, the Book of Acts, Ephesians, Genesis, Philemon, Jonah, Philippians, as well as an in-depth study on the Olivet Discourse and Jesus' seven letters to the churches recorded in Revelation 3 and 4. 
with over 17,000 minutes of expositional Bible teaching and more than 2,775 pages of written sermon transcripts, C316.tv is a must-visit for any serious student of the Bible. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. This thing translated in the Old Testament as leprosy. Bad translation. Syrath is the Hebrew word. Just means to strike. It's an interesting interesting word because every time you find it presented in the Bible, yes, there is a, a, a biological pathology to it, that it is it does manifest as an actual disease with similarities to what we know as leprosy. But the pathology goes much deeper than the physical. In fact, there seems to be a spiritual pathology as well. There's three examples of this, and I'm going to run through them very fast. But in Numbers chapter 12, Moses' sister Miriam questions his leadership. And in judgment, God immediately strikes her with, you want to take a guess? An advanced form of Sizerath, leprosy. Now, she'll later be cleansed via Moses' intervention. But it manifests as a judgment, a judgment of God. Naaman the Syrian, he ends up being miraculously cleansed, dipping in the Jordan. But then we're told in 2 Kings 5 that Elisha's servant, well, he gets greedy. And in response to his greed, he's struck by God with, yeah, Sazerath, leprosy. And in 2 Kings 15, you have King Azariah, who did some things right in the sight of the Lord, as his father had done, but he didn't remove the high places, these places of pagan worship. So the people were still sacrificing to these foreign gods, burning incense in the high places. And so we read that the Lord struck the king so that he was a leper until the day of his death, so he dwelt in an isolated house. The, the final mention of Sazerath is in 2 Chronicles 26. King Uzziah is filled with pride. He goes into the temple to offer burnt incense. Not a good thing. The high priest comes in, eight priests with him, valiant men. They withstand King Uzziah. They actually say, Uzziah, it's not for you to burn incense to the Lord. This is a job for the priests, the sons of Aaron. They've been consecrated. You need to get out. You've trespassed. You have no honor with the Lord God. Now, King Uzziah, he gets furious. And while he was angry, we're told that leprosy breaks out on his forehead. And the priests see it, and they look at him. He was leprous. So they throw him out of the, the temple. In fact, the text tells us that King Uzziah hurries to get out of himself because, and check this out, the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Do you notice? In every instance where we see in the Old Testament someone contracting this disease, they contract it How? Not in any way we see disease, typically, but because the Lord struck the, intra, the, the individual. You see, biblical leprosy, it, it was much more than a picture of sin, and it's different than Hansen's disease or leprosy. You know, the rabbis even went so far as to present Syrah as an ailment specifically caused by a person's sin, and that Leprosy, in that sense, was to be viewed as the literal judgment of God. Don't forget, the Hebrew word means to strike. In ancient Israel, they would go so far as to describe someone with this disease as experiencing the finger of God. Like To this point, there are examples all throughout the Bible where God's judgment for sin does manifest as a physical malady. I hope you know that. There are examples where people... Um, contract a disease specifically as a judgment. Like following the whole golden calf debacle at Mount Sinai, Exodus 32 records that the Lord plagued the people, literally to strike them with a physical ailment because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. We actually see this in the New Testament, Acts 13. You have this story of the sorcerer who uh, stands against the apostle Paul. And what happens? He gets, he gets struck by God with blindness. It was a judgment. You know, I'll concede that this idea that God was illustrating for his people the severity of sin by striking people with Syrah is something we might find disconcerting. And it would be theologically wrong to just jump to the conclusion that all disease should be seen as a judgment. They shouldn't be. And yet, Leviticus 13 and 14 doesn't address all diseases. Instead, it addresses something very specific that only surfaces a handful of times in the Bible. You know, I have a greater difficulty seeing Sazerath as only being a type of sin and not an actual judgment. Like, think about this. If this was 
a divine judgment, if it was not a divine judgment, the person ends up being cut off from God and cut off from God's people, kicked out of the family for no other reason than they got sick. I don't like that at all. Like that's contrary to what we know of God. A punishment for God to be just must always be in proportion to a crime. You know, every instance that we have where we see a person contracting Sazerath, it's via the striking of God, the intervention of God, the judgment of God. But every time we see somebody healed, they're never described as being healed, but cleansed. Like Naaman the Syrian, again, a Gentile. We don't know how he got leprosy, but he had leprosy. He wants to be cleansed of leprosy. He comes to Elisha. Elisha says, go dip yourself in the Jordan seven times, which makes no sense at all. And yet the seventh time he's cleansed. Like in the Old Testament and the New Testament, any recorded contracting of leprosy came because of an act of God, but every cleansing of leprosy also came as a direct act of God. You know, the priest, it's interesting. You, you, you contract this thing, right? And you're, you're instructed to go to a priest and not a doctor. And then you have all this very detailed processes, extensive processes about how the priest was to declare that you were indeed a leper experiencing Sazerath. But the priest was just an observer. It was the word of God that made the diagnosis. You see, I'm of the opinion that this thing we find in the Old Testament, leprosy, Sazerath, was actually a judgment of God. And that it happened because of something that individual had done, which is why they were expelled from the camp, cut off from the people, not because they were contagious, but because God was trying to articulate to everyone that sin was serious and that the failure to obey God's commands pertaining to what was permissible and prohibited, clean and unclean, that God took these things very seriously. It, it was a real thing. You know, it's, it's worth pointing out that in the two instances that Jesus ministers to lepers in the gospel, Mark 1, Luke 17, in both situations, those lepers understood their physical affliction had manifested because they were experiencing God's judgment for sin. Now, you might hear Bible studies that kind of try to soften that idea. Why not just embrace it? Like in Mark 1, the, the leper, he appeals to what? If you are willing. Jesus, if you're willing. I know I'm guilty. I know I've done something to deserve this. I know you can cleanse me, that you have the ability, but I don't know if you're willing. I know you're able, but are you willing? And in Luke 10 with the 10 lepers, they appeal to Jesus' mercy. You see, leprosy was more than just a typology concerning consequences. It was designed to illustrate to everyone that sin was serious. And within all of these things, we, we find this beautiful warning system. Like again, God was letting the, the nation as a whole understand when you saw somebody uh, experience Sazerath, that it was like, wow, I need to be careful what I do. Sin has a consequence. Beyond that, it also explains why you know, it could happen in clothing or a house because God was just letting everyone know, like if you're doing something you know is wrong, if you're engaged in a behavior I've prohibited, stop it because the consequences will be severe. And the clothing, it can be cut off or ultimately burned in the fire. Interesting imagery. And a house, like if you don't deal with your sin, I will. That's what God is saying. And if I got to deal with it, it gets ugly. And the effects are devastating. Now, again, what's awesome about all of this is that it was an incurable disease, and yet we have 32 verses in, in, in chapter 14 about the protocols of healing or cleansing, like what you were to do if you were cleansed. Protocols for cleansing of a disease that you couldn't be cleansed from. Again, the divine act of God. Now, now I bring this all home to just say, when you see someone in your life do something wrong, and they experience these consequences, take note. The reason that that happens is it's a warning to you that God takes sin seriously and you should be careful. But beyond that, if you're experiencing certain consequences, know that God is good and that he's made a way for cleansing. Learn more about our show. Check out our website, outlawradio.org. My name is Zach Adams. I hope you join me this time next week. God bless. You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. 
As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.